The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. And uh, I want to start by saying about like things that are reinforcing because I was in a really crabby mood four minutes ago, just like crabby mood. And then I sat down and Trayvon was like, it's time to play the opening. And I was like, go for it. And I heard that music and I, I don't know if you guys realize the voiceover for the disclaimer at the start is Peter Farrig. And we need to change that soon because, um, you know, we need, we need a new disclaimer. And also because as we're doing new things, not that there's anything wrong with Peter Varig being the person who's doing the disclaimer, we are making a commitment to hire people who are on the spectrum. And Peter, as much as he loves people on the spectrum, is not on the spectrum. So we are going to be saying goodbye to Peter's voice being the open. But it is it is such a sense memory for me that I hear that music, which was written by individuals and who were paid for that music, and as were the animators, the whole concept and everything. Uh, but it paired with Peter's voice is such a happy, happy for me. And I'm instantly in a better mood. You know what I'm saying? But we'll, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll hire um, someone on the spectrum to do that. And that will also make me happy too. So uh, good morning. I'm excited to be here with you guys, really, because this gets me out of the, the crappy mood. And uh, <laughs> so I'm thrilled that you guys are here. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, about nine other sites. Uh, Traven will show those to you starting right now. Look at how on the ball he is. And you guys can be writing in the chat right now, especially if you're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. They show up immediately like Amanda has already sent us our blue hearts, which get us started off in the morning. It's like morning. I don't, I don't drink coffee. Uh, I have to do herbal tea. I, so, but uh, Amanda's like the morning coffee gets you started, lets you know you're here. Liliana is here. Good morning from Riverside, Liliana. So thrilled that you're here with us. We got a big show for you here today. And oh my gosh, I've got a big day. We have been filming um, and getting things ready for April, and I'm super, super excited about all the things that we have coming up. And I'm excited about today's show too and about the opportunity to be here with you. I was mentioning we're live right now on a lot of sites, but don't forget this show podcast later on to pretty much any place where you can get a free download of a podcast, right? In fact, if you can find a place where we're not, where that is true, please point it out to us because we'll make sure that we make ourselves available there. We feel that it's really important that you do get this information in whatever way works for you and that it be free for you. That's that's really been our, our guiding principle now for almost, we're, we're like a couple of days short of, I can never figure out whether it's our 11th birthday or our 10th birthday, because it's like, you know, have, have we been doing it for 10 years and now we're in year 11? I can't, I'm, I'm not good at the math. Somebody's going to have to do that for me. But uh, it's, oh, it's over a decade. We are officially over a decade as of like tomorrow, either way. Uh, we might've been over a decade last year. I, I'm not, I, I don't know how that works. Because you know how like you're, when you're one, you, you've already been around the sun one, because you're not zero you know what I'm saying? It's it's math. I can't do math. It makes my brain go. Uh, so there we go. But anyway, we so it's got to be 11, Amanda says. I think, I, I, but are we starting our 11th year? Or are we starting our 12th year? This is what I can't figure out. In any case, we've been here for a long time. <laughs> and I went gray in the process. And uh, lots of good things happen. And we've met lots of wonderful people. And that's been really wonderful. Our mission, mission here is to provide information and inspiration. And <clears throat> it's been part of my mission from the beginning that we not charge you for that. Because there's enough things that people are charging for that you could come here. And if you have an internet connection, which I hope everybody has access to, even if it's just for a little bit during the day, because you've gone to the public library, that there's something that you can find. That was really uh, the thought that was in my head when we started this. So thrilled that we have had the the opportunity. What a privilege to have had the opportunity to do this and to continue on. 
And oh, in April, are we going to have some exciting things for you? Don't forget that Temple Grandin is going to be with us on April 18th live. And we have an amazing interview with Holly Robinson Pete coming up next Wednesday. Uh, it's it's going to be amazing. Amanda says, since my son is about to be 14 and I started watching when he was four and you guys had done dozens and dozens of shows, I had to go back and watch. I, I, I'm watching your math, Amanda. It's better than mine. Uh, but anyway, I, we're safe to say we've been here for a long time. Uh, a very long time. And, and that's something I'm proud of. When we started this, I said to my husband, I mean, back in the beginning, in the very, very, very beginning, before we were even officially Autism Live, we were doing shows that were, we did four hour long shows, five days a week. Yeah. And I didn't think I was going to make it. I would drive home just barely get home, get into the the driveway and fall asleep before I even turned my car off. My husband would find me sitting in the car asleep because I was tired. Um, and then we decided we didn't need to be four hours live five days a week. Uh, so um, yeah, it's been a crazy journey. But I, I remember saying in the beginning, you know, I, I think we'll probably do this for about two years. We probably have two years worth of stuff to talk about. And here we are. And still a lot to talk about, right? Uh, some good and some stuff that we need to work on. But we're, we're, we're moving. We're trudging. We're getting there, right? Okay. So, uh, we, but we love, love, let's see, I got a tear. I got to wipe away the nostalgia. We love interacting with you. So that is the highest, highest reward for us here is when you guys write in, when you tell us things when you ask questions, because then we feel like we're serving a purpose. So you're not ever bothering us. Please feel free to write in, be patient with us because we don't always get to all the comments, but we try to get to as many as we can. We have lots of experts uh, here on the show. We've got a great expert coming up in just a few minutes who's a, a coach for parents. Isn't that funny? We were talking about that with Dr. Grampiche yesterday and how there's just not enough support for, for parents on this journey. So we've got a parent coach who's with us today. And, uh, but I like to remind you that we have lots and lots of experts on the show and I'm not one of them. My, um, expertise is talking, <laughs> which, you know, and nonstop. I won't even say that I'm good at that, but being able to talk nonstop. Yes. I'm an expert in that. Uh, and I have not yet passed out from talking, although there've been a time or two when it was close. But I also am someone who cares deeply that you get support on this journey wherever you are in this autism community. You know that we always say that our community starts with the individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart. They're our why of our community. They're, they're the reason why we do things. But we also include in that community everyone who loves those individuals. That is our community. People who are on the spectrum and the people who love them. This should be the entire world. We're on a mission to make that the entire world. But until then, we're also on a mission to support that big community, people on the spectrum and the people who love them. And I'm adding into that today. I hope that the people who employ them love them, but let's let's say people who employ them as well, because that's, yes, that's the thing that we really want along with housing and support and all those other things. So we don't assume that it's one size fits all because we know better. It is not one size fits all. What I went through as a parent might be different than what you're going through right now. In fact, I would guarantee that it is because we're in a different decade right? And my child was my child and I'm me. So everybody's going to come with different things. That doesn't mean we can't have empathy. It doesn't mean we can't support each other, right? So <clears throat> we welcome you to be here, be a part of the conversation. When you can support someone, you know, you guys are good at this already. When someone's writing in and with something difficult, I love to watch how you guys support each other. It's, it's really a wonderful thing, a very healing thing. I'm, pr I'm proud of us that as a community, this is how we can function. It's a good thing. Okay. But don't count me as an expert. Count me as somebody who's in your corner saying, what do you need? And if I can help you to figure out something that could help you, boy, that makes my day. That that's really what, what I love. So, uh, having said all of that and reminded you, you can find us all those places. Don't forget to find us now on autismnetwork.com. 
we're slowly migrating everything over there. You can still find Autism Live there in, a, in its exact same format. It's just a, a button that you push and you say you want Autism Live, go. Because you know what we have coming up in April is we are going to start airing our new podcast, Stories from the Spectrum, that is all content that is by and for neurodiverse individuals. You're not going to see me, um, but I, I, I'm so thrilled that this is an opportunity for artists. We, we want to be a part of fostering artists who see themselves as being neurodiverse or on the autism spectrum or both because the labels get all, we're going to be talking about that during jargon. Good morning, Ka. Um, but we, we love that this is going to be a space and a forum for them to have their voice. Ah, I love it. I'm so excited. I get goosebumps over it. It's that thrilling to me. So uh, hopefully by the end of April, we're working very hard to put together because it's we're not doing anything except you know, um, finding the artists who want to have their work showcased and then putting it together. We're like the curator at the museum. We're not the artists, but we're curating the exhibit. And each one of these episodes is like a mini exhibit of a group of artists. So makes me very, very proud. I'm, I'm really excited about it. So and you're going to want to be on Autism Network so that you can switch between stories from the spectrum and Autism Live and ask Dr. Doreen. And it's not, you won't have to go anything else. Jana, right? Isn't that awesome? Stories from the spectrum. Really excited about it. Okay. So uh, we like to start our Wednesday mornings with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are those experts talking about? We decided at the beginning of this year that we, you know, we had a pretty extensive jargon library and you can go to our YouTube channel and watch. We, uh, I, I don't know how many videos we have there now, but a bunch, a grunge, as my mother used to say. And yet there were terms that we'd never done. And the reason why we'd never done them is because they were sticky, icky terms that you get into the mire and I don't always like them or I don't always, I don't always understand them. So I kind of avoided them. And we decided, oh, Traven says we have 151 jargon terms in there. Woo. I thought it might be over a hundred, but I didn't realize we'd crested 150. Um, but we're taking on the hard stuff. Uh, this, and I say the hard stuff hard for me, it may not be hard for you, but these are the terms that I was like, well, let's not do that today. And I just said, we're going to challenge ourselves. I'm going to challenge myself. Let's take these terms on. But you'll notice that some of them get me a little agitated. Uh, you know what I mean? Because a lot of everything is interpretation. So what we do is we give you the actual definition. We sometimes comment on that. We sometimes make fun of it. Not these because they're intense ones, right? Then we give you a working definition. And a lot of times what I like to put in the working for you is the context of why this is an icky sticky word and where people get jumbled up and why it kind of makes me fatuts. Um, my personal spin on it, right? So, which, cause I think sometimes understanding, well, why is this term even a thing? And why, what is, why do people get all emotional about this? Sometimes I think that's the thing, you know what I'm saying? So today's term, apparently we've never covered it before. Um, probably cause I didn't want to neurotypical. Okay. And I don't know, uh, some of you might be like, what's the big deal about that? But others of you might've just had your stomach drop out and go, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, cause I feel like I, this is a term I use. This is a term I use for convenience, but every time I do, I go, mm, and I, and I do the air quotes when I do it, I go neurotypical. Um, and you'll see why, but let's take a look. Let's step back for a moment and take a look at what the actual definition is. And, and there are many definitions out there and we chose the Ox Oxford English dictionary because, you know, I think it's pretty mainstream and respectable. Um, and, uh, it, it said, uh, that, that it is an adjective, uh, used in psychology showing patterns of thought and behavior that are typical of most people. This term is often used as a way of describing people who are not on the autism spectrum. This is the Oxford English dictionary definition of neurotypical. Uh, now, 
you might look at that and go, okay, well, I don't see anything particularly wrong about that, but isn't it interesting that there is a term that because because when you have a term that describes people on the spectrum, then apparently you have to have a term to describe everyone else. Um, and then and notice showing patterns of thought and behavior that are typical of most people. Now, here is where we start to get into Shannon being agitated. Whenever somebody talks about most, I go, okay, all right. You're somebody who doesn't have the time and the patience to see individuals is where I go to. Um, I am a big girl and I, you know, I can remember all my life going into stores and, you know, they're all different kinds of sizes. There's numbers and then there's small, medium, large, extra large, XXXL, right? There's all of those. And then occasionally there are things that say one size fits all. And I, you know, I reject that because it's, it cannot be true. Right. And anybody who doesn't fit that, that's like saying, well, most of us can do it, but you can't. Right. It feels dismissive. That's the word I want. It feels dismissive. Like you're on the outside. We don't really care about you. And then when so many people complained about one size fits all, do you know what they did? They came out with a new size. One size fits most. Well, that I, I started doing stand-up comedy just because of that. Because it fits me so much. One size fits most. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? And why are you talking that way? But as a society, we need words to describe things and delineate things because, oh, right. So we can put people in categories and stop looking at them as individuals. But we all do it for expediency's sake. So <laughs> let's go ahead and look at what our working definition for neurotypical is and see how Shannon feels about this term. Uh, this is an attempt to make us all believe that there is some mythical normal, a standard by which anyone can be judged as being different. I love, I don't know if Alexis, uh, is it Weinman, the, the young woman who we've interviewed her, she was on, uh, she's on the spectrum and she was the first person openly on the spectrum to compete in the Miss America pageant. And I don't know whether she coined the phrase or she just was the one who brought it to popularity that said normal is just a setting on the dryer. Cause, um, you know, who decided what is normal? Who decided what is with someone, some human being decided here are the parameters. If you do this, then this is typical. And if you do that, it's not typical. And the truth is, is that they didn't design those guidelines to be exclusive. Um, again, they, they describe them to have a way to help people to know what is the norm. The problem is, is that as a society, sometimes we just get so very literal in our thinking and black and white in our thinking. You know, I always say here on the show that when a plane takes off from Los Angeles and is going to New York City, most of the time it's off course. It, it's not following a line that goes from LA to New York. They just know where they want to arrive and they chart the course. And then they check in to see where are they and they discover, oh, the wind has blown us five miles to the north. We will course adjust. We will, because we want to arrive where we want to arrive, but, um, and we have a flight path, path that's been planned but they're off course most of the time. And this idea that there is a typical development groove, it, it isn't. Even the experts who, who talk about uh, typical development are talking about it, with, it within parameters. The experts are talking about it within parameters that, that aren't meant to be exclusive, but, but often that's what happens. That often that's what ha what's happens. And I think, you know, it's, what we're really saying when we say neurotypical is we're, we're saying what we should be saying is educational conformists, <laughs> because I know from being a teacher, a classroom teacher for years, that there are some kids we're taught this teaching method, right? To, to teach kids. And some kids can do that teaching method and other kids can't. The problem is that this kind of thinking says that the kids who can't do it are wrong, which presumes that the teaching method was correct.
And it's just a teaching, a teaching method. It's not the only one. And it used to make me just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs whenever I would see a fellow teacher who would decide, well, that kid can't do it because that kid can't do it the one way I'm teaching. That makes me want to tear tickets. See, I'm crabby today. Um, there are many, many ways to teach people, many, many ways, and most of them are personal. And when we're doing our best teaching, it's when we take the individual into consideration. And every single, every single person on the planet is capable of learning. Yes, we, are, we all have different um, amounts that we're capable of learning, um, and we all have different desires and, and things that are hard for us and things that, you know, may be with significantly more challenges than somebody else. I said at the start of the show, I'm not good at math. And you know what? I don't care. I don't want to learn math. If I had wanted to do something that required me to do math, I would have applied myself more to it and it still would have been more difficult for me. I'm a little dyslexic with numbers, but I would have worked harder at it if, if I really wanted to be an astronaut, you know what I'm saying? So we, all things, people, all people can learn. They're going to learn at different rates and they're going to learn in different ways. But when we start batting around neurotypical, it's that we're presuming that there is, this is what is normal. This is what's right. And it kind of makes me itchy. Anyone else, anyone else get itchy? I do use this term but it's why I go neurotypical when I say it. Well, you know, on the neurotypical, um, because you'll see in, 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 the, in the question of the day, the question that I have for all of you. Uh, so let's leave this and let's go to the question of the day. You know, we always ask you guys a question and we love it when you guys write in. And this goes hand in hand with what we're talking about today. Because I want to know from you, do you know anyone who's neurotypical? I don't. I don't know anybody who's neurotypical. I don't think I don't think anybody has been completely within the confines of development as de as defined by the experts about if you were going to be 100% in that groove. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody. I'm certainly not in that groove. I am not outside the groove enough to get a diagnosis of autism. I'm not outside the groove enough to get, well, we, we assume I'm not outside the groove enough to get um, ADD or ADHD, but you know, <laughs> but I haven't actually been looked at for that, right? But we assume that I'm not because I'm making it work, right? Um, and I probably should go, <laughs> notice, this is a perfect example, I probably should go and get looked at for that. But my point is nobody is in completely. That would be like the plane taking off from Los Angeles, going to New York and being on course the whole time. The odds of it are insanely impossible. So I don't believe in it. I just don't believe in it. Um, but tell me what you guys think. Do you believe in neurotypical? Do you believe that anybody is truly neurotypical? Um, I, I, I ask you guys, you, you let me know you're quiet today. Am I getting on everybody's nerves today? Cause I'm so crabby. Uh, anyway, let's move on to happier things, happier things. Our question today or our topic today for this entire week is truly, I think something so important for all of us that the past does not equal the future that it may be that yesterday was hard. It doesn't mean that today is going to be right? It may be that in the past, somebody was rude to you because of who you are and they didn't recognize the beautiful soul that you are. And that does not mean that it's going to happen today. It may be that your mailman threw your mail away last week and that's terrible and hard, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be your future and that this is how the rest of your life is going to be. It's hard when we're going through stuff that's really difficult. And I can say as an autism parent, there's still, I said this the other day, there's still things that I, that I have, I carry resentment about. All you have to do is say YMCA. And I go, mm, uh, because they kicked my son out. And I've, I, and I always say that I've healed from that. And I have heard so many parents tell me about how much the YMCA has grown in terms of how they deal with people with autism. And I'm so happy we've covered stories on it because I believe they have changed. 
from when we were going. And I think, and I don't feel that what happened to us was indicative of the entire YMCA, just a couple of people. Uh, so you'd think that I, that you could say YMCA and my hackles wouldn't raise, but the truth is, is that sometimes this is work, work to let the past go. And we need to, in order to move forward. A lot of times when I'm talking to a parent, they start out and they tell me their horrible story of how their kid got cheated out of services at school or ABA or whatever. And I always listen because I know there's a certain amount of that you guys have to purge. You have to get it up and out and have someone hear it and say, yes, you're right. That's unfair. That's not what should have happened. But I always say to the parent, I, I always say, I, I hear you. That's not acceptable. We need to, we need to make sure that we acknowledge that this is not how it should have gone. But now we have to take steps to ensure that it doesn't happen in the future. So I'm going to ask you to slowly work on putting that down. And in the meantime, let's get moving. Like, what can we do about it? And um, I think that that's super duper important. Now we've got a coach that's going to be joining us in just a few minutes, and I'm sure that she's going to have lots of helpful advice for us about how, you know, one of the things she's going to be talking with us about is mindful parenting. And, um, you know, I love the Ted, Ted Lasso thing about uh, that. He says, you know, uh, the past is, uh, wow. And he's stealing from uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. The past is depression. The future is anxiety, but the present is called the present for a reason y'all because it's a present. If you can be present it's hard some days. It's really, really hard some days to set aside our resentment and disagreement and hurt from the past. And it's hard to not let the fear and anxiety of the future drag us down, right? To just be present. So I'm thrilled that uh, Anna Vega is going to be joining us in just a second so that uh, we can talk more about this. Uh, I love Liliana says, I don't know anybody who's neurotypical. No one is perfect. Like perfect. I don't even think perfect is a thing. I'm not interested in perfect. And I'm not interested in, in being um, or, or being around or having a child who is, you know, down the middle, everything. Like to me, that sounds like bleh. You know, uh, I think we all get to be our, our quirky selves. And I think that society is coming around to understanding that that's what we should praise is people who are individuals. And, uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. I love, uh, for instance, it's American Idol season. Uh, we, we've got a story coming up tomorrow talking about one of the contestants who tried out this year that was on the spectrum. We're hoping to get him on the show. I love that American Idol has been one of those beacons to show that artists are more interesting when they are fully themselves, not trying to be someone that they're not, but fully authentically themselves. I have so enjoyed that about American Idol and I'm going to forever love Katy Perry because I think she's the perfect uh, role model for that. Right. In any case, we got to get on to our guest cause it's getting late here. Uh, and we don't want to waste her time. Anna Vega is joining us right now. She's a parenting expert coach and consultant and the former, get this former vice president of the national Alliance on mental illness. How about that? She's a parenting coach specializing in helping families by transforming parents and their parenting styles. We want to know about that. Um, before she was uh, a parenting coach, she was an international journalist interviewing inspiring individuals like Steve Jobs and winemaker Robert Mondavi. And uh, she also was an entrep entrepreneur selling baby products worldwide. The product, uh, her brand was Mama Do Kids. She's fluent in English, Spanish, French, and Italian. How about that? Uh, and she's very familiar with the whole idea of family stress uh, because of her upbringing. She had a mom with schizophrenia and uh, two different stepmoms, and she can talk to you about all of that. But uh, she has now turned her focus to 
helping parents with a parenting method called Happy Families because she believes that parents are doing the hardest job on the planet, raising human beings, amen to that, with no prior training. Uh, you know, where is that class in high school that we're not getting and and not enough support? So uh, we, we love that uh, her work is based on Yale University's uh, behavior approach, mind, mindful parenting. We're going to talk with her about that. So let's welcome to the show, Anna Vega. Anna, welcome. Hello. So glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about stress, because this is something I think we're all poignantly familiar with. Um, but as, as a parent and as a, as a parenting coach, this has got to be one of the main things that you're dealing with. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. One of the main reasons we suffer as parents is because parenting is very stressful. People don't realize that, you know, really society doesn't really, uh, acknowledge that as much as it should. So yeah, there are, you know, um, three, at least three sources of parenting stress. Okay. So one is a difference in a modern family environment compared to the environment in which we evolved as a species. For like 2 million years, people lived in little uh, groups, like 150 people. And parents had an average of 15 people to help them. Mm. Imagine having a group of 15 people to help you. Yes, please. <laughs> um, because it takes a lot of effort and, you know, uh, food and time and emotional support to raise a child. So thinking that a mother alone being at home with the child is normal, that's crazy. It's not normal. And when mothers go, you know, stressed out and yell and anxiety and they cry and that's normal because we are not supposed to be alone we have, we're supposed to have 15 people helping mm. our species is was you know evolved, evolved for that so yeah um what that's one of the main reasons i love that because i, I just wanted to throw in here that um temple grandin's mom used to cutler when I've asked her before, like, you know, what do you think was the secret to all the success that you had with Dr. Temple Grandin? And she said, you have to understand Temple was born in the post-World War II era where when you lived in a neighborhood, you it was a tribe. And she said, and the other mothers helped me to parent her. And they said to their kids, you have to play with her. And they helped out and they carpooled and they did all these things. And she said, I don't see parents having that support anymore. It's kind of sad. But I think you're right on the money here. Yeah. But and but part of that is all part of this modern world that we're dealing with. And I don't I don't under I, I feel so bad for parents of young kids right now, having just gone through the pandemic. I feel like a lot of people are struggling with we're still a little bit in the pandemic world, but we're trying to be in the real world and there's new technology and it it all feels like this to me. Yes. Yeah, we were, you know, already struggling and the pandemic made it like threw us to the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. To, you know, our parents. So also another reason is our, um, how we learned to regulate our emotions mm. from our parents too. Um, so the kind of attention we received from our parents is like a language that you learn. You know, you learn English or you learn French, but also you learn how to deal with your own emotions. And then you were either raised in an insecure attachment environment or secure attachment environment. And you learn that. And then when parents are aware if they were raised in, in the insecure attachment environment, then they are more able to, um, to uh, emotionally be there for the children because what we communicate non-verbally on an emotional level is much more important to the, than anything we do or say. Children, babies especially, are so attuned to our emotions. So so how would we, Anna, how would we, what would be some telltale signs that we're, we were raised in an insecure uh, environment? When we don't feel comfortable with a child's emotions, we feel overwhelmed. And when we feel overwhelmed by our, our own emotions. We don't feel safe with our emotions. We don't feel safe with other people's emotions. 
Okay. And so what you're saying is we can recognize that and then you, through the work that you do, can help someone to overcome that. So yeah, you basically parent yourself. The way you talk to yourself, the way you judge yourself, you know, we are so judgmental of ourselves all the time. And so with mindful parenting, you learn to develop this infinite self-kindness and self-compassion. And when you do that with your own, with yourself, then automatically, naturally, you can do that with others. So can I throw an example at you? Because um, so we have a lot of um, parents that will write in and we'll talk about being someplace in public and the child having a meltdown. And, and one of the things that I'm always saying is the emotions that that brings up in the parent, whoo, we could write a whole book on that um, because you're, you're supposed to be accomplishing something. Your child is having a meltdown. You feel judged as a parent. You're judging yourself as a parent. You need to finish the interaction with your child, but you're totally in your head and it all feels like you'd like to just walk out of whatever the place is and never come back. So what, what kinds of things could somebody be saying to themselves in that moment to help them to get through it? Okay. Yeah. Well, you're talking about being judged by others. That's huge because as I was saying before, we lived in tribes of 150 people. If people didn't like you, they would ostracize you, kick you out of the tribe and you would die within like a few months or a year. So it was life or death. So being judged by others, Feels like life or death. We're gonna be kicked out of our tribe, of out of our tribe, and we're gonna die. That's how it feels. So you have to be aware, like, okay, I'm very scared right now, but this is not life or death. I'm not gonna be kicked out of any tribe. I'm not gonna die. Mm, interesting. Because it's, I do it's, think it's, it feels. It's a human uh, instinct to be liked by others and um, accepted by others. Talk to ourselves. Oh, I, my internet went wonky. Sorry. Yeah, you Hopefully you got me back. Yeah, my internet went wonky. Sorry. But um, I think we do, uh, it does feel life and death, but you're saying that we can acknowledge that and then talk to ourselves about the fact that that isn't entirely accurate. Yes. Okay. Yeah, our brains, our like limbic part of the brain or, you know, like our prehistoric brain thinks, oh my God, this is very dangerous. They're going to kick me out of my tribe. I'm going to die. Wow. That's how it works. So it's like, okay, I'm aware of that. This is not, thank you brain for trying to protect me, <laughs> but this is not going to happen. I'm fine. People are just going to look me it's weird, but that's it. You know, I, I'm going to feel uncomfortable and that's fine. I'm going to accept this, you know, these body sensations that are kind of, you know, very intense, but they're not dangerous. My body, you know, the sensations in my body are not dangerous at all, you know, and um, you have to allow them. And then when you allow them, they just disappear. The problem is when we are like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. I shouldn't feel stressed out. I don't want to feel stressed out. I don't want to feel this fear. I don't want to feel this anxiety. It just it stays, it stays, it stays with you. But you say, I allow this sensation. And it just goes. Amazing. Amazing. It is and amazing. Well, and, and part of the reason why we're talking about this is because uh, there's been a great deal of research lately on mindfulness with parenting and, and in particular mindfulness uh, and the effect on uh, parenting of individuals who have special needs kids, even kids who are on the autism spectrum. And um, I think, I, I think a lot of the field is starting to move towards this because one of the, I was at a conference a couple of years ago and they were showing us all this research that had been done but some of the most recent research showed that when parents learned these techniques, not only did the parents feel better, but the kids made more progress because the parents were able to do the intervention with, with much more um, finesse because we weren't stuck in this, this like negative thinking that took us out of the present. So pretty amazing. But you talk about priorities and I, I love this, Anna, because I believe that having your priorities straight is, is a key thing when it comes to mindfulness. So talk a little bit about that. Yes. With mindful parenting, you learn to listen to your body and you say you have, you have to acknowledge, okay, my body's telling me I'm reaching a limit. So I have to take care of myself. So you have to figure out, okay, how do I take care of myself emotionally, physically, 
with my friends spiritually, whatever it is. And you have to make a plan and ask for help for people so you can take care of yourself. Um, because if you don't take care of yourself, you're so stressed out, then your reactions are not as kind and you're not as patient. So if you want to be patient and, and kind to your child, you have to find ways to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And one way, very important way that they're finding now is we is, is harder to self-regulate than to co-regulate. So when we are with all the people, that's why we were, we were in, in tribes and we had these people around us. When we are next to someone that we feel safe with or a family member or a friend or someone that seems safe, the amygdala in the brain, the activity decreases. Mm. So we feel calm, we feel confident, and we feel like everything is good. So not only spending time or being with other parents, but also being able to talk to, to you know, a therapist, but you can find a friend that you can, you know, say, okay, we're gonna every other day or once a week, we're gonna talk about what we're dealing with, you know, and that's co-regulation. And that's the best way to actually, you know, uh, regulate, you know, regulate your emotions and uh, your stress. Well, in fact, some, some places are also, um, I, I really resonate with when we talk about modeling the behavior for our kids and doing it with our kids so that we're doing that co-regulation with our kids by modeling it. I, I last week we had our house that our herself on our she stuck her canine tooth through her muzzle and pinned her mouth shut and the vet couldn't do anything for like 12 hours and when I tell you guys it was like the worst 12 hours because my dog was confused in pain she kept pawing herself trying to fix it and which was making it worse and oh my good and and in the beginning I was hysterical I was like what has happened to my poor baby and I quickly realized because I'd had so much training of this with when my, you know, we were raising our son, but I, I realized the only thing that I could do was calm my breath and sit with my dog who does not understand verbal, you know, uh, communication. I had to sit with her and I had to put, have my hand on her and I had to steady my breathing. And it was the only way that I could calm her down. And it really reminded me how much we have to put that oxygen mask on ourselves first. Because if we don't have our stuff together, we can't expect to be able to help our, our kids. And in this case, you know, it was my dog. Um, but but she was able to calm herself once I was I was breathing calmly. The trick that we were taught uh, to get my son to sleep is if you start uh, breathing in the way that sleep comes on, that the, your child will mimic it. Mm-hmm. And and then he would finally go to sleep. So I, I love what you're saying here, Anna. I think it's so important, this self-regulation and co-regulation, whether it's with friends, which you, mm-hmm. you know, we love getting together with our tribe, but also you can do that with your parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, but for children, let's talk about for from the perspective of children, because children have very specific things going on for for them. Mm -hmm. And we kind of have to understand that, right? What are their priorities? Their priorities, I think the the main one is to feel safe, physically and emotionally. So uh, if a parent is stressed out, they cannot be there present emotionally for the child. And their reactions are not as safe doesn't feel they don't feel as safe uh even physically you know if a parent is emotionally uh feels like the parent is is uh, dangerous emotionally it also feels like you know the same part of the brain like the parent is physically dangerous the same part of the brain um so you know you were talking about earlier how hard it is to be pressed to be present yeah it's like a muscle if you practice mindfulness you know with meditation even if it's five minutes a day or mindful walking or whatever, if you practice mindfulness, that muscle of being able to stay in the present is stronger. Makes total sense, right? It does. So if you don't practice any mindfulness at all, it's much harder to be present and calm down and, and you know help yourself, help your child. So because like I was saying before, the stress level of us as parents nowadays is so much, you know, intense than what it should be 
we should really be practicing all of us at least five minutes of meditation. I'm going to say, you know, five minutes a day is better than like, an hour once a week. So if it's just five minutes a day, and um, it will make a big, because also when we communicate with each other or we're next to each other, we actually, we are shaping each other's brains. But how I talk to you, how I make you feel, I'm shaping your brain right now. Mm-hmm. So when you're with your child, the way you feel in that moment, emotionally, or the way you com- communicate with them, how you deal with them, you're shaping their brain. Yeah. But we do that with, you know, with adults too, all day long, you know, so, but we can shape our own brain, like I say, it's like a muscle. So if you meditate, you practice mindfulness, you know, the ways, other ways to practice mindfulness, or just sitting, you know, in and meditate. Um, the, the, you know, stronger, our, you know, calm brain will be. And then the more, that's contagious. It's, yeah. it's like an epidemic, you know, it's contagious, you know. I, one of the things we've talked about over the years on the show is that um, when you get into the car, there's a moment that's so stressful getting into the car to go anywhere, right? And especially, you know, when you have to help your child or your teen to get into a, a harness and they don't necessarily want to and they're not entirely understanding where you're going. And one of the things that we've advocated, because we've seen a lot of parents that were so rushed and, and harried to get in the car that then they pull out the driveway and get into an accident. And so we started advocating years ago that whenever we just get into the habit of whenever we get into the car, you get everybody safely strapped in and then there's a minimum of three deep breaths before we turn the car on and back it up. And that I think probably saved my life and my son's life because there were times when I, you know, you just get so busy, you get so busy doing things that you, you know, you forget I'm about to drive my most precious thing in a huge heavy vehicle that could hurt us and other people. Mm -hmm. How about I be present? while I'm yes. doing that. And, and, you know, three breaths, a very small amount of time. Um, and even if your child starts to scream, you know, if they're safe in the back seat and they're in their harness, take, take the time, take the minute, take the three breaths. But I love the idea of, of finding five minutes a day, um, to be mindful, which is meditation or other things. But I imagine when you're coaching families that part of the magic of this, Anna, is that you help them to find where they can do that and mm-hmm. how they can do that. Because I think yes. that that's the tough part is yeah. figuring out when and where and how, because we can all make excuses and say, you know, I got to do this. I got to do that. My child is screaming, whatever. Um, but, yeah, but it's very it's very normal to kind of not feel like meditating. It's very normal, you know, like oh, I don't feel like it. But then when you do it, like this is the best thing ever. It's like a shower for your brain, like a warm shower to for your brain. You know, it feels good. And then when you do it, like oh my god, why why do I find it sitting here? <laughs> you know? Yes, isn't that the truth? Uh, talk to the, on your talking points. You have uh, neutral attention and productive praise. Tell us what you want to say about that okay yes um for example we parents most of the time we focus on what their child is doing wrong and we point at that so um in order to balance that because you know i don't know if you know this but with children and also adults one negative interaction weighs as much as five positive interactions. Mm. So you have to, you know, make a little effort to uh, give the child neutral attention or positive attention. And neutral attention for the child feels like not positive attention, but it's called neutral attention because you're not praising anything. Let's say your child is drawing, you know, and you say, oh, you just make a comment, like a picture, like, you know, like a, you know, commentary. Oh, you look happy drawing that picture because they feel seen because if they, they get attention when they, they do something wrong or they do something really great. What happens in the middle is 90% of the time they're doing nothing special or nothing bad. So what happens with 90% of the time? They don't get any attention. They're invisible. So because, oh, you look happy in drawing that picture. 
ah, I, I noticed that you were um, having a hard time doing this. Or it seems like you really like this ice cream. You see, you know, like I'm noticing things. I see this about you. So they feel seen, you know? And then the productive um, praise is not praising the child. What you praise is the, uh, the action, the behavior. Let's say you say to your child, can you please uh, pick up uh, the toys from the floor, let's say. And they do it. Well, there are ways to, to, you know, anyway, so they do it, right? They pick up the toys. And then you use you, that is a, it's a method, the three main basic steps. First is exclamation like, wow, or oh my goodness, you know, with enthusiasm. And then you say what they did. You picked up the toys like I asked you. And then the third is a loving touch, a pat on the back, you know, whatever it is, or a hug, or, because that's, that's um, releases oxytocin in the brain, so it feels good. So every time your child is doing something, you know, that you ask them, like, you know, pick up the toys, and you do that every time they do it, even if you just pick up one toy, and you do that, you lock in the behavior, you, you lock in the habit. And it's based on science, you know, it's, it's, um, so that's how, how um, you can do that, you know, like, um, to, because when you do that, the child feels like successful. I love that. So go Good. through the three again. Okay. So the first is? Well, I call it PAL, PAL, P-A-L, because it's exclamation point. Oh my God, ooh, yeah, oh, awesome. And then A, it's the action, you describe the action, you put up the toys, or you, you know, put your shoes on. And then the loving touch, which is okay. loving touch, the P-A-L-L, -L, the loving. Uh-huh. So yeah, so it's like, oh my God, you did this, and then you touched it. Love it. Love it because, you know, I, I we want to make sure, as you said, we're locking in that behavior that, and, and I love that you said they get seen that, that they're act and, and we make sure that they're getting seen for something that we want to see more of yes. as opposed to, yeah, oh, because you yeah. feel, you know, because they get so much negative attention. They feel like a failure a lot. So you praising this, the action feels good. And then also when they make a mistake, they feel like a failure. So one thing that works really, really well, even with adults, is saying, you know, next time, can you do it this way? So they feel like there's hope of success in the future. Love it. You know? I love that because a lot of our kiddos, we, when they get in the, ten year, in the teen years, they become very fixated on, I didn't do it right. And, and they can't move on to the next thing. And so, uh, you know, making sure that we language and say, well, next time we'll do this as early as possible, as young as possible. Maybe we can head some of that off at the past. Mm -hmm. So Anna, talk to us a little bit about when you're working with parents and um, what you do. And if a parent is watching this and they go, oh, well, clearly I need Anna in my life, how they would connect with you. How they can connect with me? Yeah. Like how could, how could they, they hire you to be their coach? Okay. Well, um, they can email me, uh, um, you know, to my website, for example. Yes. Um, my email address is Anna with one N at anavegacoach.com. Um, we can set up a, an appointment to talk about, you know, work good fit. And then we go from there. The program uh, normally lasts 12 weeks. Okay. And uh, I do a combination of, you know, the monthly parenting and um, everyday parenting from Yale and um, a little bit of um, psychosomatic um you know, uh, method, you know, about, you know, um, how, which is mindfulness, mindfulness, psychosomatic therapy is basically the same as, which is, uh, listening to, to your body. Um, yes. And, um, very fast, you know, in three weeks, people see amazing results in themselves and their children. And is this something that you, um, need that they need to be face to face with you, or do you take these appointments on on Zoom or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Do it long it's, distance. Normally, it's on Zoom unless someone lives, you know, close to to me. <laughs> okay, so so really, anybody in the world could reach out to you, AnnaVegaCoach.com, and find out more about this coaching technique to be able to help them. And I want to make sure that everybody knows that, um, you know, you are able to take a wide variety of clients, but you are very adept and experienced working with parents of children on the autism spectrum, correct? Yes. 
Because mm-hmm. that's really important. I, you know, I, I know a lot of times somebody says, oh, I'd like to get help. And, and they, they go and, you know, I remember the first time that my husband and I decided, oh, this is hard on a marriage. Maybe we should go and get some counseling. Um, we're having a tough time with this. And we sat at the first meeting with this counselor and uh, outlined what we were going through. And she said, oh, I, I see what the problem is. You guys are going through a bunch of interventions for your son who's on the autism spectrum and it's taking your time and attention away from other things. You should just stop all of that. And, and my husband and I just got up and said, thank you and left because we said she doesn't get it. That yes, those are our stressors, but they're our stressors because that's what's important to us. And we want help figuring out how we get everything else in there, but she mm-hmm. didn't get it. And I got turned off and my husband got turned off of therapy then. Um, but so that's why we want to make sure that p- people, this is an arena that you're very comfortable with the, the, the things that you're teaching. There's good research that this is good for parents that are, uh, that have kiddos on the spectrum. Correct. Yes, because the math parenting method that I used was designed by two psychologists in the Netherlands uh, for children with, you know, in the autism spectrum, with schizophrenia, depression, anxiety. And uh, it is 100%, 100% successful because parents, all of them change their parenting and how they, they change their lifestyle, you know, how they deal with life uh, in general, you know. And if you can, if you can change some of these small things, then you can get back to the enjoyment of your child and the enjoyment of the role of being a parent, instead of feeling like it's a burden and that you're failing Mm -hmm. and that you're not doing it right, because that's not how we're meant to feel. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes. That's part of the um, mindfulness, which is non-judgmental. So you stop judging yourself. You start judging your child. Uh, you stop judging the world, basically, which yeah. is, you know, um, and then um, you are aware of all the simple moments. Let's say, you know, in, in mindfulness, for example, when you're washing the dishes, you don't wash them for the, so that they're clean. You wash them to enjoy the foam, the water, you know, the, the, the sensations in your hands. Um, so... You know, there's um, a point by Thich Nhat Hanh, which is a Buddhist um, leader. Uh, they call it, a, you know, a spiritual leader of the 21st century. He just passed away. He's, he has a poem that says something like, I don't understand why washing the dishes or, mowing, you know, mowing the lawn um, is not as important as writing a poem. Mm. Mm. You know, everything is poetic. If you really, really think about it, everything is beautiful and poetic you know but we don't grow up thinking this way we grow up oh we're gonna have fun we're gonna enjoy ourselves when we're in Disneyland or when we're eating this food or when 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 instead of like every moment can be so you know um vibrant and full of life and beautiful absolutely absolutely so we're unfortunately we're out of time but again uh if you're interested in more of this kind of work. Anna is available. There are also many books available on this subject. Uh, but, she, but, you know, reach out to Anna, Anna Vega. It's Anna with N, one N. It's on the screen right now for those of you who are watching the video. Uh, but if you're listening to the podcast, it's Anna with one N, A-N-A Vega, V-E-A coach, C-O-A-C-H.com. And you can reach out to Anna and find out more about this. I need to do it again. Uh, Okay. Anna, A-N-A-V-E-G-A-C-O-A-C-H.com. I probably got less mindful in the middle and put in an extra word. Because uh, I do that. I have the attention span of cottage cheese. Uh, so anyway, AnnaVegaCoach.com. Oh, the internet messed me up. Okay. Anna Vega dot com uh annavegacoach.com oh for heaven's sake i'm gonna do it three more times annavegacoach.com anna with uh, one n vega v-e-g-a coach.com and it's it, it'll be in the uh the description as well anna thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being here with us you're so welcome it was great to be here thank you you take care 
Uh, I just have a quick uh, programming note as we close out that on tomorrow's show, we've got an amazing dad who is the author of a new book called Apollo Autism. He is a proud uh, dad of two, I, I think, boys on the spectrum. And as a result of his boys getting diagnosed, he ended up going and getting the diagnosis himself. So he's going to be here talking with us about what it's like in his life. I love to hear from dads. Oh my goodness. So fun. Uh, so that's Alex Philstein is going to be with us tomorrow. And then we, uh, we're going to be showing some fun things over the weekend in, uh, in commemoration of world autism awareness day. There'll be more about that on tomorrow's show. Uh, and it starts, it all starts. It's very exciting. We've got big shows planned for you next week. You're not going to want to miss Holly Robinson Pete on Wednesday. Don't miss that. And then we have, uh, I know we have Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz on Thursday. Um, and of course we have Dr. Doreen on Tuesday and I don't remember who we have Monday, but it's a forget Dr. Temple Grant and live on the 18th of April. It's all shaping up. We're going to have an amazing month of April. And in the meantime, we start moving into our new studio tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's very exciting. I can't wait to show you. We might even do a little live feed on Friday to give you a tour of the new space. It's going to be a mess because we're moving in, but um, we're excited about it. It's all beginning. So we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> now I'm going <laughs> to get a frog in my throat before I start a coughing fit. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>